Good morning. How are you guys? Wow, I am, uh, yeah, <laughs> I am so excited to be up here this morning. Hey, Devon, good to see you, brother. Um, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to just share a little bit uh, from my heart and from my experience uh, that I hope something that I share will actually be really um, helpful to you at a time when maybe uh, you're going through uh, challenges and difficulties that you never imagined that you would face. Uh, several years ago, probably um, about 30, 35 years ago, I was reading a book called Birthright by David Needham. It was one of those critical concern books. I don't know if any of you ever read that, but um, I don't remember which chapter it was in, but I came upon uh, a, a couple of verses in scripture uh, that uh, became really real to me and really powerful to me, very helpful to me. And I, I just want to share those verses with you today. And I'd like for you to think of them in terms of just, just consider the possibility that God might be using these verses and the story that I'll tell to help to equip you for something that you might face in the future. Okay, so if you have your Bibles today and you want to turn with me, you, go ahead and turn to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. It's one of those big prophets, a major prophet. Okay, and we're going to look at chapter 50. Here are the verses that I'm going to be uh, talking about. Isaiah 50, verses 10 and 11. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the fire, in the light of your fire, and among the brands that you have set ablaze, this you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment going to jump back up to the first verse. So let's just kind of take a look at this uh, a little bit phrase by phrase and see what it is that we actually have to learn from Isaiah 50 verses 10 and 11. So the first phrase that we see here is, who is among you that fears the Lord and that obeys the voice of his servant? I'd like to make a couple of observations about the subject of this passage. It's the one who fears God. He has a reverential awe for God. He has a respect for God. So this is one who fears the Lord. And he's obedient. He obeys the voice of God's servant. When the prophet speaks, he listens and he obeys. So what I'd like for you to do is consider this question. Who is this person within our context? Okay. He fears the Lord. He obeys the voice of his, uh, of his servant. Who's this guy under the new covenant? The new covenant is the agreement that God has made with us in this time and in this place. And it involves Jesus. And it makes it possible for us to enter into a permanent relationship with him that's based on God's promise to himself. That's the new covenant. That he would give us a new heart. And he would give us, make us new creations, as that darling little girl said earlier today. So is this guy... Um, a sinner or a saint? 
Is he a believer or an unbeliever? Is he lost or is he saved? Is he a stranger to God or is he a son? What do you think? Give me an answer. What do you think? A believer? What would you say? A son. All right. So what we're doing is we're talking here about somebody who is a Christian. You know, one of the reasons I make this a big point is that anytime the word darkness is used, the first thing you think is sin. Okay. And I get that because there are lots of verses in the scripture that describe times in sin as being times in darkness. You know, God brought us out of darkness into his light. That's a different reference to darkness. I think that this particular passage is teaching us something about darkness that I would like for you to consider. That there are times in the life of a believer that they uh, that the person may not know exactly what to do. They may not know exactly where to go. You may find yourself walking in a period of darkness. You know, darkness has some effects on us, doesn't it? Have you ever been slammed into a dark room where you just absolutely could not see? There was no light whatsoever. It's disorienting, isn't it, Dave? You, You absolutely do not know where you are in relationship to anything else. And it causes a tremendous feeling of fear or of insecurity, doesn't it? All right, so that's the effect or the impact of darkness in our lives. And sometimes we respond to that darkness with impulsivity. We do really dumb things that maybe we shouldn't have done, you know, when we're in a dark situation. The next thing you know, you've slammed your leg into a coffee table and you're screaming and maybe even saying a few Uh, spicy words, you know, to express how you're feeling under those circumstances. So the darkness can be very disorienting to us. So we see in this situation that this guy is, um, he's obedient to God. He fears the Lord. So we're going to call him a believer. We're saying that it's possible that a Christian can find himself in dark times. Okay. Here's what else it says, that he walks in that darkness and he has absolutely no light. Now, maybe you find it hard to relate to this up to this point in your life. Maybe you've never been there, but looking around the room, I see some of you that I know for a fact have been there, and some of you are possibly there right now. The circumstances in our life can uh, produce times like this. We find ourselves... um, not having enough money, maybe facing bankruptcy. Maybe our folks are getting old or somebody in our family has dementia or Alzheimer's and we're struggling with what to do. Maybe, maybe you have been um, recently married or, or you became married and found out that you couldn't have children of your own and you were dealing with a life of barrenness or even the loss of multiple uh, children before their birth. Maybe you struggled like I did with chronic illness Uh, or pain. And uh, there's a possibility that there are people in this room who experience strained relationships, especially at Christmas time. People that you love that you can't see because they're far away from you. Maybe you've been through a really painful divorce and the memories of that have just created a really dark and disorienting time. Mental illness, spiritual desert, you know, crying out to God seeking after God and finding that he's almost 
silent and you're wondering, where are you, God? These would be uh, examples of what I think are spiritually dark times. But there are lots of other times like that. You know, what I've discovered is that God does some of his best work under these circumstances. I posted this on Facebook yesterday. Hopefully some of you saw it. It's like, you know, that uh, um, whether it's a seed in the ground or um, Jesus in the tomb um, or a babe in the womb, uh, it all begins in the dark. That was basically the gist of it. So God does some amazing things during the dark times in our life. And I think a question uh, for us to consider is how will we respond to dark times? You know, what will our reaction be to those difficult times? Maybe you're wondering, like, what are some examples of people in the scripture who actually experienced this? One of my favorite stories in the Bible uh, is that of, of Abraham. And Isaac. You all know the story of how um, Abraham desperately wanted to have a, a son. And in fact, God made promises to him and told him, he said, you are going to be the father of many nations. Your children are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. You're going to have kids. You're going to be uh, an amazing father. Those were the promises of God to Abraham. And so, um, Abraham ends up getting this son, Isaac, and he loves Isaac with all of his heart. He is so delighted. It's like the world is just centered around Isaac. The sun rises and sets in Isaac. And then God says from Genesis 22, verse 2, he says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Take your son, your only son, and offer him as a burnt offering. Can you imagine the darkness? Here Abraham is a really old dude. And he's got a son. And he's spent some time with this son. And he's really grown to love him. And everything's looking really good. It's all going great. The sun rises and sets in this boy. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering. This is incredible darkness. Darkness that you and I have a really hard time imagining. But I want to uh, highlight for you Abraham's response under this incredibly dark and difficult time. The first thing I see is that Abraham responded with obedience. When God said, uh, take your son, your only son, you know what Abraham did? He loaded up the mule. He got himself a blade. He got the boy and he got the burning coals and he headed toward the mountain. Abraham responded to this incredibly dark time with obedience, but not just with obedience. Abraham also responded with hope. Here he is taking that boy up the, up the hill, and the, and the son says to him, Dad, um, where's the sacrifice? Dad, where's the lamb? And Isaac, I mean, Abraham says to Isaac, the Lord himself. Or the Lord will provide for himself a lamb. The Lord will provide for himself a lamb. Abraham had hope. 
in the darkness. He didn't despair in the darkness. Not only that, he trusted God. He trusted God. I love what Hebrews 11 says about Abraham in reference to this. Um, Verse 19, it says um, that Abraham considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. So as Abraham is making his way up there, he's thinking, okay, if this is really what God wants, if this is the way it's going to turn out, then what I need to be prepared to do is to obey God no matter what the cost, because he has the power, he has the ability to raise my Isaac back from the dead and give him back to me. (laughs) And Hebrews actually says, that's kind of what God did. Because we all know the rest of the story, don't we? When Abraham was there in that final moment of darkness and he was acting in obedience and in trust and in hope, he raised the knife to be able to do what God had told him to do. And God said, stop. Don't do it. I know now that you love me more than you love Isaac. And there was this bleeding of a ram. And and miraculously, beautifully, wonderfully, Caught in a briar thicket was this ram. And God provided for himself a sacrifice. And in that moment of darkness, God met Abraham there. And Abraham learned something immensely valuable and powerful about trusting. But it's not just Abraham who walked in darkness. There are other people in the scripture who've walked in darkness. You know the story of David when he's fleeing from Saul. David's been anointed as the king. And uh, he, he wants to do what God wants him to do. And he, this is kind of an awkward situation. And Saul is going nuts. And he's chasing David down and trying to find him so that he can kill him. And David is given opportunities to, to take Saul out. But he says, who am I to touch the Lord's anointed? And I love from Psalm 23, you may have never thought about this in this way. But do you know what it says? Yea, though I walk through the valley In the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Wow. David had an, an experience of darkness. And in that opportunity, he had an opportunity... Uh, to trust himself and to take out Saul, to resolve his problem his way. But God led him to um, not touch the Lord's anointed and just to wait on the Father. What about Jesus in the garden? What about that time of divine darkness when he is saying, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. A dark time. He asked them to pray with him. And there they are, cut and Z's. And, and all he wanted was someone to pray with him. What about Paul and his thorn in the flesh? Just consider this for a moment. He asked God multiple times for healing, and no healing came. And instead, God said to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Because my power is made perfect in weakness, I'm going to reveal myself to the world through this experience of difficulty or pain or this thorn in the flesh. Well, I'd like to tell you a story about my own experience of darkness, if I may. And this is kind of the difficult part of the message. And I do want to uh, apologize in advance to parents who have children in the room. I'm going to be sharing my own story. And there are some things in the story that are a little hard to hear. But um, You know, about 32 years ago, in fact, our anniversary is um, next Thursday. I got to marry this precious lady, Garvisa, and we began our journey together. 
And, uh, you know, we had these great plans. We're going to be missionaries on the field and we're going to go to seminary and she's going to work as a teacher and put me through school. And uh, like two weeks after we get there, she's like, oh, honey, I just am not feeling good. And, you know, she starts having uh, morning sickness. And uh, several months later, boom, we get Bobby. And uh, Bobby was born on the 25th of March, 1989. And he was an amazing blessing to us. And we fell head over hills in love with this adorable little fella. And, uh, you know, as he grew, uh, our hearts for him grew even more. And we saw so many incredible and precious gifts in him. But he was a unique child. He was a willful child. He had some really strong ideas, and he made sure to express them. When Bobby was three years old, we moved to Indonesia, where we began to serve as missionaries on the island of Bali. And Bobby was really good. He was really gifted with language. He, he just caught on to the language really quickly. And in fact, he helped us to get to know our neighbors. And uh, we, we really benefited from Bobby. When Bobby was five, we adopted his little brother, Brian. And so Brian came to be a part of our lives. And Bobby was a great big brother. Then a couple years later, because of a need for a job to finish the adoption and some really difficult circumstances, we had to move to the island of Java. And we did that uh, where I was actually a teacher at the international school. And guess who was one of my students? You guessed it. Robert Alden Stroud. Bobby was one of my students. And one of the things I noticed about Bobby was that Bobby had um, some difficulty paying attention, some difficulty sitting still. He was really smart, very clever, very capable, but he had some trouble with, you know, managing his time and everything. Um, so, you know, we began to notice that maybe Bobby was going to need some things from education that maybe we wouldn't be able to provide for him. He might need to see a doctor and be cared for by someone um, there. And so we began to deal with this gut-wrenching possibility, the reality that we might need to actually leave and go home to the United States. And uh, I've shared with you all before, but it was during this time that I was really grappling with my own response to stress, with my response to the difficulty in my life. And the way I was dealing with it was by coping by leaning into an addiction to pornography. And uh, so during the day, I was working as a missionary, teaching in the schools, and uh, at night when everyone else was asleep, I was battling my addiction to pornography. Well, we uh, were incredibly stressed out, didn't know what to do, and uh, God was telling us to go home, but we had these really tight relationships with people in Indonesia. And um, we had to tell our children that we're going back to the United States. And for Bobby, that was like devastating. It was like, it was like telling him that the world he grew up in is suddenly not going to be a part of his future, that we're going to take you back to the United States where you feel insecure and you feel like you don't belong and you feel like you don't understand and people don't understand you. And you're going to have to cope under those circumstances. And so we returned to the United States, but it wasn't easy. Bobby, when we went to get on the plane, he climbed on top of the roof and he grabbed a hold of the, the little thing on the top of the roof. I can't think of the word for it, but he grabbed a hold of it and 
uh, we were all in the car ready to go to the airport, and I had to get out of the car, climb on the roof, peel his hands off of this thing, and uh, get him safely down and into the car. It was gut-wrenching. It was painful. It was a dark, difficult time for us. And Bobby's adjustment back into the United States wasn't all that great because he would go in and he would tell people about how he speaks two languages and people didn't care. And he would tell people about how he has climbed uh, volcanic mountains and people didn't care. Uh, And so for him, it was a real struggle. And he began to do all kinds of things to try to adapt and to adjust to life in the United States. And in some ways he succeeded, but in other ways he never quite did. Um, I wanted, I'll just skip that part. So um, during this time of adjustment, Bobby had some emotional struggles. He was on some medication that caused a reaction and he got into some trouble and he had to spend time out of school because he got into trouble. And um, it really produced a, a difficult reaction in him. And he began to try to find different ways to cope with his, uh, with his struggles. And, um, you know, during this time, there was some stuff that was going on in our lives. I had been dealing with a chronic bacterial sinus infection. In fact, I'm still dealing with it today. But at that particular time, the doctors were doing all kinds of surgical procedures, giving me incredibly powerful antibiotics through a pick in my vein for over a two-year period of time, trying desperately to kill this infection, but they couldn't kill it. Um, and in the meantime, all the treatments and the surgeries were having their effect on me, and my health was just spiraling downward, and things were getting worse for me. And Bobby's watching this, and he's emotionally responding with stress. And then in um, the uh, spring of 2005, uh, there was a freak snowstorm in the month of March, and Garvisa happened to be in the road, on the road, taking me to work and coming back. She and Brian were in the car together, and uh, there was a terrible accident. And the other driver in the other car was killed. And Garvisa's life was just turned absolutely upside down by that. That's her story to tell, and um, I won't go any further with that. But let's just say that all of this was going on in our world, and as a result, it was going on in Bobby's world. And Bobby's way of coping with that was through numbing. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe, maybe when your life is turning upside down, you cope with numbing. Numbing with food or numbing with alcohol or numbing with weed or doing some, something else to numb. Well, you know, Bobby's numbing got him into trouble and he ended up not being able to um, uh, stay in school. And uh, they put him in a special program, and they offered him the opportunity to challenge, and he successfully challenged and took the GED program, and he was so full of optimism and excitement. He was going to finish early and go to community college and get a job and do all this great stuff. And uh, it was during this time that God had me read, uh, us read a book by Larry Crabb called Connecting. And in that book, Garvisa and I became really convicted about how important it was for us to actually build bridges in our relationship with Bobby, that no matter how difficult it is, that we need to have bridges in our relationship with him, avenues for Bobby to be able to access us and to approach us and to enjoy us. 
And that was happening, and some really cool things were happening in our relationship. In fact, I had been reading for the umpteenth time the book Wild at Heart. Any Wild at Hearters in here? Yeah, so I've been reading Wild at Heart, and I had been on a Wild at Heart retreat, and I was back, and I had the audio book and everything, and and Bobby uh, asked if he could read that book, and he took it, and he would stay up late, late, late into the night and be reading it. And one morning, I remember, he came jumping up into the middle of our bed uh, when Garvey said and I were still asleep on a Saturday, and he was like, dad, dad, I got to show you this stuff I've been reading. And he opens up the book and he's got things underlined and he's telling us how God is speaking to him through this book, Wild at Heart. And it was really amazing and encouraging. We felt like what we were doing in our attempts to connect with Bobby were, was really paying off. And uh, there, was still, there were still problems. He was still struggling with the use of um, certain substances. He was smoking weed, and we didn't realize it, but he had been uh, taking some pills in order to try and numb and, and get high. And um, one particular day, I had uh, uh, gone with a friend up to a, a camp, and we were going to spend 24 hours specifically praying for Bobby asking God to heal Bobby, asking God to bring a resolution to Bobby's struggle with addiction, to Bobby's struggle with the use of drugs. And my friend Don and I went off, and we had this amazing conversational time of prayer. And, um, and I came home just filled with hope, filled with optimism that something wonderful was going to happen with Bobby. And I drove into the driveway. I can still feel myself sitting in my little, I had a white BMW. It was like really old. Somebody had given it to me. It was a freebie. And I was zooming down my little hill and I could feel myself pulling into the parking lot and putting the car into neutral and pulling on the brake and walking into the house and sitting right in front of me in my den was my, was my son, lifeless. And... Um, all the color was gone. And, um, and I shook him and I screamed and I cried and I asked God, what has happened? What is this? What, what is going on? And I went through an incredibly difficult realization that my son was gone. My son was gone. I didn't know why. I couldn't find evidence. I couldn't find a reason. There was no note. There was nothing. There was no indication that he had done anything to do this. All I knew was that he was gone. And I knew that there was no way that he was coming back. I knew that I was absolutely powerless to do anything about this reality. As you can imagine, I lost it. I fell to pieces. I screamed. I cried. I begged. I pleaded. I prayed, I called a friend, and before you know it, things began to happen, and people began to come in, and I'm still crying, and I'm still screaming, and I'm still begging and pleading, not understanding. I, I was in the darkest hour of my life. I'm going to skip ahead in our passage of Scripture here to talk about a uh, the second verse. We'll go back to the first verse and finish that up in a minute. But here's what Isaiah 50 verse 11 says, Behold all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands. Walk in the light of your fire and among the brands 
that you have set ablaze. So what are we seeing here? What is it that's actually happening in this? We're, we're seeing a response to the darkness. And in this particular response, what we see is that the individual in verse 11 kindles a fire. And what I imagine is that he's down on the ground and he's taking some rocks and he's banging them together and he's waiting for a spark and he finally gets the spark and then he lights the kindling and then finally creates a torch. And then he takes those torches in order to snuff out the darkness and he surrounds himself with light which he has set ablaze, with fire that he has created. So what does this mean? What is it that's actually happening here? What we see is that when we create a fire in dark times out of our own making, that we're being driven by fear or by anger or by lust. We're being driven by some strong emotion that's compelling us to respond to that circumstance. And what we see is that we try to fix the problem in our own way. You ever done that, Sherry? Tried to fix the problem in your own way? Yeah, me too. I've tried to fix the problem. Bobby tried to fix his problem in his own way. I believe that you too have tried to fix the problem in your own way. God calls that flesh. When you're trying to solve your problem in your way, God calls that flesh. And you're walking after your flesh rather than trusting in God in that moment. And there's always a response, always a a thing that happens when we choose to walk after our flesh instead of walking by God's spirit. And we see that in verse 11, the second part. It says, this you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. You know, anytime you try to fix a problem your own way, you make a mess of things. Things just don't work out, do they? It's like the guy who's created the fire and he wants to rest, but he can't rest. Why? Because he's the one who's responsible for the fire. And so he has to nurture the fire and keep the fire burning. The same thing is true with you and me when we try to solve our problems our own way apart from God. There's no we can rest because we're experiencing these incredible emotions of frustration and bitterness and anger and fear and confusion. And all of these things are a part of our experience. The Bible describes them in the book of Romans as death, (laughs) you know, and it says that the, the spirit sets itself against the flesh and the flesh sets itself against the spirit. And, and what we experience when we try to solve problems in our own way is this. Now, why is it that this is the case? Why is it that this happens? Well, that's because God sets himself or he opposes self-reliance. God opposes self-reliance. I want to share with you two really quick passages. You've seen this before. Jeremiah 2, verse 13. This is where another prophet is saying something really similar. He's only using different terms. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which can hold no water. 
All right, so water is an issue with Israel. Imagine them in a wilderness type of an environment. They need water. And who is their supplier of water? God is their supplier of water. And the water that he gives is living water. Now, let's say that living water is, is not just literal water, but let's, let's say it's a metaphor for God's provision for what we need. And God wants us to trust him for his provision. He wants us to believe that he will give us what we need. And instead we're thinking, well, I can do better than that. I can guarantee that I have water. So let me go up there to the top of a mountain. Let me break up some rock. Let me create for myself this big cistern. And every time it rains, the water's going to come in and it's going to get caught there. And anytime I need water, I can go and I can get water from this cistern. And I'm depending on me, on my way of dealing with things. I'm solving my problem my way instead of trusting God who is the living water. So we see the same thing in this passage as we see in Isaiah. It's self-reliance. God opposes self-reliance. He wants to be our source. Our source. Our source of life. Our source of joy. Our source of love our source of hope. He wants to be our source and he wants us to drink from his living water and not to create for ourselves broken cisterns, which are basically useless. The water leaks out, the water sits in the sun, it turns green, it gets slimy, tastes terrible, and we have to work really hard to get it. That's the metaphor for us doing things in our own strength and our own effort. And this is what Galatians says about us doing things in our own effort. It says that if we sow to the flesh, guess what we're going to reap? We're going to reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. God gives life to those who sow to his Spirit. And this whole message is about facing darkness, and sowing to the Spirit in the midst of that so that we reap his life. Now, there's some examples in the scripture, and I'll quickly run through these. You know these stories of people who did things their own way. You remember Sarah and Abraham? They're all waiting for a child to come, and they're thinking, oh, well, this isn't happening quite fast enough. So, um, oh, Hagar, the Egyptian uh, handmaiden, let's take her. Here, Abraham, go with her. And you guys have a baby, and we'll call it mine, okay? That'll work out great, right? Didn't work out. She laid down in torment, didn't she? She created for herself a big mess, which took years for her to get out of, and a lot of people were hurt in the midst of it. Jacob, stealing the birthright from his brother, wrestling with God. You know, his his whole life was a lesson in doing things his own way, lighting his own light. Even David... The one who we talked about, uh, you know, honored his uh, faithfulness to King Saul. That same David had an experience of darkness where he um, committed adultery. And then to cover up, the con- cover up his adultery, he committed murder and ended up um, suffering from that. Peter, you remember the story? There are a couple of them with old Peter. But, you know, he's in the garden. He's acting all enthusiastic about helping the Lord. He's going to help the Lord. And this guy comes in, and, and they're confronting Jesus. And he goes and whacks off the ear of Malchus. And, man, he made a mess for himself, didn't he? Taking things into his own hands. 
But what is it that God tells us to do if he doesn't want us to to take things into our own hand and solve things our own way? This verse, verse 10 says, the one who fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant, who walks in darkness and has no light, this is what God desires for him. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. This is the crux of the message. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So we see a different response here than doing things your own way. And in this particular situation, what we see is trusting in the name of the Lord. And you guys, maybe you've heard a little bit about this, but I suggest that when you're not walking through darkness, that you spend some time getting to know the names of the Lord and what they mean, because they tell you a lot about his character. Heard some of these names before. I've I've put some of them up here on on the board for you. If we're uh, relying on the name of our God, we remember that his names include El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, Adonai, the Lord our Master, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah um, uh, Rapha, the Lord our Healer, um, and Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our Provider. God is all of these things to us, and each name tells us a little something different about his character and what he does. So I strongly suggest that you come to know the names of the Lord in order that you might be able to trust in those names during incredibly difficult times that you face. And the second word is rely on God. Trust and rely. And they sound like they mean exactly the same thing, right? It's like, it's like uh, the prophet is just saying that same thing over twice. But I want to tell you, the word reliance actually has a different kind of meaning. You see Rick up here with that crutch, and he's, he's carrying that crutch around in order to be able to get around because Rick can't get around without said crutch, okay? There is a reliance relationship between Rick and the crutch. The crutch is become a something that he can lean on, something that holds him in place. And the Hebrew word for that is sha'an, and it implies leaning. It implies being held in place. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants us to have with him, one of absolute reliance upon him. And, you know, I, I was trying to come up with a great way to illustrate that. And I found this amazing video clip of Samwise Gamgee's. And he, he's carrying Frodo up to Mount Doom. And I was going to show you that and it was going to be awesome. But I thought to myself, you know what? There's no better illustration for being in a dark time, being in a difficult time, and having to walk in absolute reliance upon God than your own story then that moment of being in darkness and not knowing, why, God, why, why is my son dead? Why, God, why do I have to lose the prospect of grandchildren through this son? Why, God, why, why is it that I will live the rest of my life thinking every year about what it would have been like to have had Bobby at different ages and different stages in his life? There's no better example than my own life. And as I've told you, losing Bobby was, in fact, the darkest hour of my life. And something I've discovered is incredibly important when you're walking through dark times like this is authenticity. Being completely real in the midst of that. 
It's not about faking it till you make it, Emma. You said that the other day, faking it till you make it. It's not about pretending. It's not about like acting like you've got your stuff together. Oh, I can handle this. I'm a tough guy. No, it's about being absolutely authentic. And if you are crushed, God will meet you in that moment of being crushed. And in in that situation, somehow trusting, somehow trusting, which I think is grace. I think it's God's grace meeting us in that moment and giving us the capacity to trust and being held onto by God in the midst of that situation. We experienced that. It's amazing that during that time was when the the song Held came out. Uh, You remember... um, What's her name, baby? Natalie Grant sang that song. And uh, it, was, it was the song that just kept playing on the radio over and over again. And it, and it says, this is what it means to be held. And we learned what it meant to be held in that incredibly dark and difficult time. And then surviving those circumstances one breath at a time. You simply breathe in and you breathe out and you don't give up. Now, what I've tried to do just for concluding, I wanted to put together some things that, that maybe you could jot down as things to be helpful for you in the midst of trying to survive a dark and difficult time. The first thing is practice honesty. I already said it. It's about being authentic. And you've got to be authentic not only with yourself, but also with God. Um, how big is God? Really big. He's huge, beyond description, absolutely. Is he big enough, Sandra, to handle it if you're feeling angry about circumstances? You think, yeah, absolutely. Can you tell him, Rick, when you're raging on the inside? Can you, can you come to him with the deep hurt that you have and tell him exactly how you feel? I want to invite you to grab God by the lapels in a most loving way and let him know exactly how you feel under the circumstances of your life. Be honest. Be honest with yourself and with God. And be honest with somebody else. Tell somebody else. I, I, there are people in the room today who were with us through that season. There are people watching this on video today who were with us in that season. And they walked with us through that. And we are incredibly grateful for the opportunity to be our most authentic self in those moments. The next thing is look for God in the midst of the darkness. Look for God in the darkness because that is where you will find him because God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And you need to look for him. You need to be able to see him in the midst of that. I want to read a passage to you from 2 Corinthians. There are a couple of passages from 2 Corinthians that come out in this study for me. It says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but... Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For this momentary and light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. While we look not on the things which are seen, we don't look at those things that are just immediately visible, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Our eternal God is with us in this moment. 
He is the I am. He is fully present to us. And I beg you to look for God in the darkness. Ask God to give you a verse or a passage like the one that I'm sharing with you to help you through difficult times like this. Develop a a philosophy of of grieving, of, of suffering, and walk that out in reliance upon God. Don't wait for your circumstances to change to start living. Circumstances don't always change. My circumstances do not change with regard to my son. My son is in heaven. He is with the Lord. And I will live with that for the rest of my life. And living in denial of that isn't helping me. Being able to embrace that reality and to know that God is with me in the midst of it is where it's at. You've got to begin to um, move forward even when your circumstances aren't changing. But you can do some things. You can ask God to give you something to motivate you. You can ask him to help you to get through it, to get out of bed. Maybe he'll use coffee to get you up and get you out of bed. Maybe God will use music or worship, maybe a friendship. Maybe someone will come and pull you out of the bed when you're walking through one of these dark and difficult times. But ask God to give you something. He is your source. He is your helper, and he will provide. Okay? Don't minimize the value of baby steps. You know, sometimes the only thing you can do is breathe. That's all you can do is just take a breath. Breathe in and breathe out. And and value those baby steps because they are moving you forward in progress. All right? Choose not to isolate. Uh was supposed to be there. Was it up there? Choose not to isolate. Isolation is killer. It will absolutely take you out. That is where the enemy gets us. And that's where it is that we begin to do things to try to solve problems our own way. Practice gratitude. Give thanks to God for all that he has given you. Look around you in your day, whether it's a beautiful moon or a flower that blooms in spring or a squirrel that comes up on your deck or whatever it is that God does for you, give thanks to God because he is there. And as you give thanks to him, you are practicing his presence and walking in an awareness of him. And I need to tell you this, don't believe everything you hear. There are lots of people out there who are quick to give advice. Do you remember those three guys who were Job's advisors? They were just full of it, weren't they? Absolutely, in more ways than one. They came to Job and they gave him all kinds of advice, but it wasn't the advice that God would have given him. They were telling him, Job, it's your sin. It's all about your sin. You've you've done these things that are wrong. And, And people are like weighing Job down with guilt for sin that he didn't even commit. And he's like, I don't get it. So there will be people who come to you and give you advice about your difficult time, about what you should do and how you should react and how you should respond. Go to God about that, okay? And don't believe everything you hear because not everybody has the wisdom of God. And so it's important that you're wise and discerning during those times, okay? Practice good self-care. Take care of you. There are things that you might need to do in order to get through this difficult time. Like go to counseling. No shame in that, right? Start eating better. That's a great step to take. Get some exercise. Do something that is taking care of you because during these dark and difficult times, it can be extremely hard to do that. But ultimately, more important than anything, this is my final word of advice to you. Fix your eyes 
on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. And this is what God's word says to us in regard to Jesus. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Listen to me, darkness happens. It happens in all of our lives. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But you need to know something. Light always prevails over darkness. And Jesus is our light. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. You are so faithful and so wonderful. And we are grateful today. As a body, we're grateful. Grateful for these beautiful children who've come out of dark and difficult circumstances themselves to stand among us and to sing and to express a hope, God, that we all need to see, we all need to hear. So thank you. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the truth of the word. And thank you, God, that you've given us guidance and direction in your word and even warnings about the possibility of us doing things our own way. And God, we repent of that. We repent of the belief that we can solve our problems our own way. And we embrace the truth that you and you alone are source, that you and you alone are life, and that you are light in our darkness. And so we turn to you and we receive from you. And we ask you to prepare our hearts, prepare our lives for that next dark moment, for that next time of difficulty when we walk through this. And give us wisdom to do that in a way that brings honor to you and a way that helps us to survive. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.